There's this old African proverb. It says, it takes a village to raise a child. Of course, it was popularized by Hillary Clinton in a book that came out just a few years ago before the election. Didn't work out very well for her. But it is popularized by her. And after having four little minions of my own, I absolutely know that it is true that it takes at least a village, but I think it takes more than that. I think it takes a church to raise children. It takes an entire group of people working together to show forth God's goodness, his love, his mercy into the world. And so what do I mean by this? It is only by the help of my single friends teaching my kids Sunday school. That, I, that my kids continue to follow and love Jesus, to see young people take their faith so seriously that they would instruct and come down and get on one knee and teach my kids what does it look like to love Jesus on a regular basis. Or maybe it is uh, older parents being willing to me, for me to come up to them and say, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, can you help me? And so I need those older parents there to help me. I need other young kids to play with my kids. That's what I need. I I need children to see, I want them to see the full beauty of God on display through all people, through all ages, through all life situations, singled, married, divorced. I want my kids to see God's beauty shining through all people, and so I want them to be part of it. You know, and uh, although like this, people are like, I know, you know, some people are like, hey, Bro, dude, you're talking about like parenting. I am nowhere near that. But parenting, it is a word that was probably popularized. It was first kind of heard and showed up on the scenes apparently in like 1950. Like, ugh, parenting. That's actually how it was used. In the same way that a young millennial might use something like hashtag adulting. You know, and so that's the way it was first kind of popularized and used, and it came into normal coinage uh, in our normal vernacular probably in 1979 is when it made it into the dictionary as a word, I'm parenting. You know, but raising children or discipling children has been God's idea and plan since the beginning in Genesis. God tells humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Here's the question. If you are a single person living in Israel and you hear be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, I'm like, I can't do that. That singles me out. Well, yeah, I get that, but you're still part of this congregation. So let me go further. One of the most memorized verses in the entire Bible for young people in the Old Testament would have been Deuteronomy 6, who would have had to memorize, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then in these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then it says this, and, and I'm going to go take what I call the Southern Translation. And this is the way I translated things when I was in, in seminary and nerding it up and wasn't allowed to talk to people. But this is the way you translate it. All y'all shall teach them, children, diligently. You shall teach these things diligently to y'all's children. And when it says all y'all's children, it doesn't mean that, like, if I don't have actual physical children, do you know what this means? If you are part of this congregation, that means my children are your children too. Yay, yay, yay. yay. They're like, Vince, I've seen your children. I don't know, man. Like, you could... 
I will just prayer and good vibes. That's all I'm sending. That's all I got for you, Vince. And I understand that. I understand that. You know, but it, it parenting matters, and so I encourage all people to listen. Why? Because all of you have been parented too. All people are involved in the parenting of children, the discipleship of children here at Grace and Peace. And it is from the way you greet them, even down to looking them in the eye when they walk by you, treat them like a human being. You are parenting, you know, you're caring for them. That is what you're doing. But all of everyone has been parented in some way. Think about your parents. Think about how it was when you were growing up. You know, some people have had good parents, some people have had harsh parents, difficult parents, abusive parents, absent parents. Sometimes we have to lament the parenting that we've had. And so when you listen today, I want you to listen with careful ears, and you're going to have to decipher some of this stuff, but it applies to you because you've been parented, and you're also part of parenting with this congregation. You know, and I understand we're going to be talking about God as Father and example. And some people are like, man, I hear you. But my dad was a jerk. You know, and abuse does not rule out proper use. And, I, and if, if that was your situation, maybe your parents were abusive, I want you to know that I hear you deeply. I know exactly what that is like. And I had to disentangle a lot of those feelings that I had toward my father. So it's hard. Maybe you're sitting here listening and you realize, I have not been a good parent. Here's the deal. God ain't done. Jesus ain't done. Jesus uses really messed up and broken people to do crazy things. And we believe that he's a redeemer. And you, maybe you failed. I know I've failed as a parent. My kids are only like 11 to 5. I'm with you. I get that. This is a touchy subject. But what Proverbs teaches us about parenting is this. It is imperfect sinners pointing other imperfect sinners to a perfect God. That's what it is. And so we need to look at three things. We need to look at the, the people, the pattern, and the power of parenting. The people, the pattern, and the power. So first, God uses multiple generations of people. God has a multi-generational, multi-situational family for his mission, and that is called the church. God calls a people to be his audience, to be his people that then would be like angled mirrors which show his goodness, kindness into the world. They are to be a paradigm. So the way that we treat children and the way that we parent children will be seen by the rest of the world and so that they would know that there's a God. Here's one of the things that you need to know, okay? So about people and parenting and, and different things like that. I, I, one, of the, one of the greatest ways to actually let people know about God is just inviting someone over to your house. Like maybe that doesn't have kids because what they do is they see this mess and it's crazy. I know if you, your parents and you have like multiple kids, everyone's like, there is something wrong with them. But do you know what they also see through it? They see beauty forgiveness, grace. They see the messed up parts too, and that's okay. Why? Because God uses messed up, dirty mirrors that angle his goodness into the world, that reflect his goodness into the world. And the thing is, is he chooses imperfect, messed up people like you and me to do it. 
But he needs a multi-generational group of people, too, to do it. So he didn't just call uh, parents that happen to be between the ages of 35 and 25 and doing it perfectly all the time, whose kids never, ever shout at the grocery store or hang on your leg while you're dragging them through because you, ne- you didn't get them the Snickers bar that they wanted, and then they, they just kind of cling on to you, and you're like, stop it, we're not getting the Snickers, keep going, I'm going to get you carrots. You know, and that's the thing. God doesn't choose those people who, like, have it all together, you know, wearing a beautiful sun hat and, like, life is beautiful, little beautiful kid, you know, like, talking about Jesus. That isn't the people he uses because those people don't really actually need Jesus. You know, they've got it together. No, he uses messed up people. But then he says in Proverbs seventeen six, it says this, Grandchildren are the crown of the age, and the glory of children is their father's. Okay, and so here's the deal. So he uses a multi-generational is what he's looking at. He's talking about multi-generations together in the same congregation, putting it together. So there wasn't just like a church where like, all right, let's go segment little kids into this little pocket and they can have their own little church. And then we can have big person church right here. And then there's the aged church. Let's put them way over there and they could, you know, and have a bingo hall on the side. That's what they do for them. No, that isn't the way God envisioned it. Okay? He wanted them all together, and then this group of people working together, multi-generations, will image his goodness into the world. Now, those with kids will hear this one. Uh, Proverbs twenty six twelve says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Meaning, parents. Here's the deal. Okay? Yeah, people who parent... You don't have it all together. For a person to say, I'm wise in my own eyes, I get it all, I understand it all, there's more hope for a fool than for him. Meaning, parents, you have to admit you need outside help. And you need outside help from people who are older than you and people who are younger than you and in people who are in different situations than you. Okay? Whether rich, poor, got it together, driving awesome cars or driving 16-year-old cars with a crack in the windshield and every once in a while you have a gear stick or something like that, you know, it's a car. But anyway, those people need Jesus too, all right? And that's, what, that's who he brings together. Proverbs 15.32 says this, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So mothers and fathers and those who are single parents ask for help. They ask for help. Kids, it says this, if you're a kid, if you're still a child, it says apply your heart to instruction and your ear to knowledge and the main dispenser of knowledge and goodness into your life is actually your parents. And generally, unless your parent is actually absolutely wicked to the heart all the way down, then this is the thing. Um, they have your good for you. They're looking out for your good. All right, so you apply your heart to instruction. Give your ear to knowledge. Even when you're older, listen to your parents. Every once in a while, they might have a nugget of truth for you to help you out. You know? You also, there's a community, which is all of us together. You know, imagine a place, though, if like this, it was a place where single mothers never had to fear never had to fear what was going on, that they had to live life as a single mother. Let me go a little further. Imagine if the hope for a single mother wasn't that she had to hurry up and get married again. 
I have a friend who is recently widowed. And seriously, like months later, the only thing it seems that she does is, is she is constantly praying and asking for a new husband. Imagine if the church was such a community of parents all together that, you, that she didn't have to imagine that. Like, you're like, I could get a new husband, that's cool, but maybe not. It's all right. I could live the single life there. Imagine if the community was so strong that it did that that way, that you felt a higher call and a mission, that, that people worked together. And so all of us who have been parented, whether by good parents, harsh parents, mixed parents, absent parents, what it is is we take our stories, we take our backgrounds, we take our expertise, we take our uh, experiences, and we use that for God to draw beautiful pictures. We add our little part. It's like a mosaic coming together. That is what we do together. And so God uses imperfect, mixed up bunch of people to recreate his world. And, he, and that is imaged through the way we parent our kids. And the way we treat kids. And the way we come down to kids' levels and say hi. We treat them like full humans. Francis Schaeffer used to call people glorious ruins meaning that each person was glorious, but the corruption of the fall had touched every aspect of our lives. So this means parents and non-parents. The beauty, the glorious thing is seeing parents and non-parents working together to raise God's children. And somehow God will make something beautiful out of that. So it's people. God chooses imperfect people, imperfect parents, to somehow make something beautiful out of you and me, out of this world, and he's working that way. But now let's talk about the pattern, the pattern of parenting. We're going to camp out a little bit here. So Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for that one. That's a bit of an overstatement. You notice like, you were like, discipline your son. There's something, yeah, cool. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Well, that escalated quickly. Okay, calm down, man. Uh, Discipline here, though, means to instruct one by exposing and correcting faults. We're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean by the rod, and what does it mean by discipline? Oftentimes we've conflated or made it one image that it is only basically beating your children. And we're going to go visit that, okay? But, and that it might actually be a longer sermon, but we'll talk about that further. Proverbs three eleven through 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, nor be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves, which means as I kind of like comes up and says, Hey, you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's going to hurt you if you keep doing this. So um, <clears throat> the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Imagine if it was this. Imagine if my kids who came up to me, and they like to come up to me all the time, and they love to ask little questions. Dad, it is 8.15, I've had breakfast, can I have ice cream now? Like, it's 8.15 in the morning. And do you know what? I have to say, no, it's not good for you. Imagine if I gave in to my kids every women desire for candy whenever they wanted it. Okay, they would have no teeth and it would be a lot of trouble for them in the rest of their lives, okay? It just wouldn't be good, all right? 
So I reprove them and I show them what is good. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof is primarily about discipline and direction. So the pattern of what we are trying to do as parents and what God's people do as discipling children is to give them an idea of what does it look like to love what is good and hate what is evil. Love what is good and hate what is evil. So you are a master trainer, every one of us, for the heart of a child so that they would love what is good. Why, uh, so so this, is, this is the way it goes, okay? Uh, let, me, let me break it down further. Every child and every person at one point and even every day, I would say people are like broken compasses. Compasses, when they are working, they point what direction? North, yes, but every once in a while you get a wonky compass and you're like, what in the world is happening here? And it isn't, you know, it's supposed to point true north. And so what you need to do is you need to recalibrate that compass. And what we do with kids is that we are constantly recalibrating this child so that their heart is always pointing to true north, so that they would love what is good and hate what is evil. So wise parents are the ones who are leading, teaching, and instructing in this pattern. So what is this first? So what do we need to do? What is this pattern? Develop habits of love. You discipline in love. And you model this tenderly. Develop habits of love. Discipline in love. And model this tenderly. So habits of love. These are regular practices. Regular practices practices. Um, let me put it this way. Uh, Babylon B, it's this weird, like, satirical, at times it is just offensive and bad, just wrong. And so I don't really recommend it. Um, and it is just, just mean to, just mean to be mean. It, but it, it has said this, and it kind of, like, hit a little bit at home, and, and, and it said, um, after 12 years of regular uh, quarterly attendance, Parents shocked to find that daughter has lack of faith, is what it said. And it kind of hit home. Because, you know, it, what, what we do by coming to worship is to recalibrate our hearts so that the points of the true north of Jesus Christ. And so what this actually said was, like, your quarterly attendance showing up, like, once every, four, every three months is not the way it was meant to be. Why? Because attending all these other things, and uh, you are, your heart will be calibrated by something. It'll be changed by something, whether it be MTV, Fox News, uh, your advertisements on the radio. Your heart will be trained to love anything. And so regular habits of love is training. Uh, let me put it this way. It's not just worldview training either. Not just worldview training telling them how to think, but it's teaching them how to love let me put it this way. I could tell my kids, and my kids absolutely know, that broccoli is good for them. They know broccoli is good for them, but they hate it. Hey, Tim, stop it. <laughs> kids know that broccoli is good for them, but they hate it. So what, did I, what have I been doing since they were little, tiny kids, and they have had tiny teeth? I've been chopping up broccoli consistently over and over again. And so if you actually meet my, uh, my third daughter, Aidley, one of the things you'll notice that is kind of weird about her is she is a child that loves Brussels sprouts and broccoli. You're like, what in the world is with that child. 
Like, and I'm not putting bacon in it either. She actually <laughs> likes broccoli and Brussels sprouts. And so what it is is she has to acquire a taste for it. It's like how we acquire taste for anything that we drink or we eat. We train children to love what is good. Let me take an apologetic station break here. Someone's like, yo, bro, it sounds a lot like brainwashing. It sounds a lot like brainwashing. And I understand that some people have been hurt by this type of training and that they've got, heard about this all the time in their lives. This is my point, though. Even your, your comeback that this is brainwashing and that people say you need, to be, you need to let them be free to explore and discover what it is that they want, uh, I would say that that is a culturally conditioned response. Uh, it is a brainwashed response. Uh, Why? Because uh, the idea of autonomous choice and freedom are values of our larger culture. You can see this on like MTV, uh, watch The Bachelorette, only only for research purposes. Uh, (laughs) You know, check out Fox News, uh, follow anyone on Twitter, once again, only for research purposes. Go to the mall if those still exist. And what you'll see is that everyone is training you to be in a, that, that the champion value of our world is to be autonomous, to be free, to choose what you want. And brainwashing is bad. And all the, to- all the while, they are brainwashing you to think and feel and love those things. Do you see how that works? So we ought to see that all people are brainwashed in some fashion. Fine. Just admit it. Brainwashed in some fashion, but whose brainwashing is going to actually condition you to love God and love neighbor? To actually sacrifice yourself for someone else? To actually give up what, is pain, you know, what would ultimately be painful and what you think may actually, you know, things that taste good and feel good and do it for the love of another person. Well, Christianity does that. And so how do you teach them to love those sort of things? And so here we go. So how do you have regular habits of love? Be active in worship. Show up to worship on Sunday. Let, teach your kids how to sing. Like kids need to sing and that is how they form kind of language and understanding in the world is through song and music, lots of music. If you go to our house, there is all kinds of music being played. Even if it's the Beastie Boys at home, I'm still helping my, under- ki- my kids understand what, what that means and, and some of the lyrics that they're singing. But there's music going on regularly. Daily at home, we have to explain the world. Also, one of the things that we do is we hike a lot as a family. So I bring them out to the trail, and I stand in awe of how beautiful things are. We look at every tree, we look at every flower, we look at little creepy, crawly, crazy-looking centipedes crawling around on rotting pieces of wood. Why? Because God made that creature, and I want my children to feel a sense of awe in order that they would love it. I recommend that you expand their imagination. Let them read good books and stories Fill their lives so that they would understand good books and stories, so that their imagination would be big. We live in a world nowadays where to to think that God somehow is active in this world is like totally weird to us. It's totally weird. Why? Because there's a lack of imagination. They think that we 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 live in this disenchanted world where somehow like like nothing magical ever happens. Vince, like 
read a science book, homie, is what people would say. Uh, but, it, and my thing is, is like, God made this world and is infused with his goodness and love and power. And we get a real true sense of that on the heart whenever we read great stories like the Chronicles of Narnia. When, when we read things like, like Tolkien's uh, books and, and uh, it, it is the Lord of the Rings and we, we get those things. We learn how to love like friendship and sacrifice through good stories. Let them read good stories. Another thing that I would actually encourage you to do is be active in mission. Uh, one of the things I do with my kids, sometimes I would pray with them while we're driving to school so that they would know that why God had placed them in school, God had placed them to be his agents of reconciliation, of to actually love this school, to be a good student, to care for his teacher and care for those little knots of a kid sometimes that are on the playground and they don't like kick them and stuff like that. God wants them to love them too. God, God wanted them, so we'd pray for them. Uh, help them share their faith with their friends. Pray for others in front of your kids. Pray for the people that are hard to love in front of your kids. Next thing I would say is actively navigate this difficult world with them. Don't shield them from everything. Help them think through the world. Navigate through I do the weirdest thing. I do not recommend this for everybody. Do you hear me? I do not Recommend this for everybody. I listen to NPR with my kids in the car. Why? Because you're going to hear like, Dad, what does that mean? And I'm like, let me explain it to you. Here's the deal. They're either going to learn it from you listening to NPR and you helping them to navigate it so that they, you can actually kind of like find out what they're thinking, or they're going to learn it from little Johnny and Susie on the fifth grade playground, and you're going to get some whacked out ideas. And when they come back home, you'll be like, how long have you been thinking this? You know, uh, let me put it this way. I know a really big conservative church here in this town where every senior high youth group girl was pro-choice abortion and uh, would, would not hold to what we would consider the conservative ethic for, for human sexuality. Every girl. I'm like, how long has this been going on? And they would ask, she asked the question, the person that I knew, and I asked her, how do you know this? And she goes, and then I, I'm like, she goes, I asked them. And then I asked her like, well, what, well, why? And she goes, I, the common thread was the parents never talked about it with them. That was a common thread. Parents were too afraid to navigate these things, and I know it's hard but we've got resources. We've got other people to ask. Ask parents who've done it. Ask parents even who, you know, maybe it's hard that they've kind of failed and fallen. They haven't done it right. What would they have done differently? They would, I'm sure they would still love to help you. And so we help them navigate the world. Talk to them about the difficult things. Ask them also this question. Ask them how they feel about themselves on a regular basis. Ask them how they feel about themselves on a regular basis. Ask little kids this, you know. Ask your friends this. How do they feel about themselves on a regular basis? One of the things that we also need to look at is discipline, right? So we discipline them in love. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. It does not say whoever loves him beats him, all right? Uh, the word rod 
typically is understood for a whole range of discipline. It is not just beating him or beating a child, okay? A word is, the word is not just for corporal punishment. So abuse does not rule out use. But many parents have gone too far. Here's the deal. If the only discipline that you have is a hammer, right? If that is like the only thing you do, if the only tool you got is a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail, all right? If that's the only tool you've got, And so we have to be creative and thoughtful with our discipline. And so here's here's some recommendations on discipline. One, it needs to be consistent. It needs to be the same pattern and expectation. Two, it needs to be reasoned. Uh, Kids can actually think pretty decently. Help the child think through why this is bad for them and for others. Uh, You guys read the book, uh, Raising Up Bebe. Or, you know, like this little French book. It's like talks about reasoning with kids. It's kind of fun. Um, but but uh, why is it, you want to you help them understand why is it good that, and what is good that God wants for them. You want to sit down, you want to come down on one knee and help them understand that what they're doing is bad for them. It is going to be bad for them. And then one of the ways that you teach them is that you give them negative consequences so that they would associate the negative consequences with the negative thing that they have done. All right? And so you want to help them think through that. You need to also help them understand that you love them and that they can trust you because you have their good in mind. And they need to trust you over themselves and what they think is right. And that is a challenge. You need to help them think that you have their best in mind, and that you are smarter than them. Isn't that crazy? Next thing, it needs to be measured. The, the, it needs to fit the act. Uh, my friend, Dr. Doriani, uh, Dan Doriani, one day he, he would keep telling his kids, stop leaving your backpacks everywhere. Stop leaving your backpacks everywhere. Well, one of his daughters decided to like, walk in and like, leave her backpack right in the front door. Wife trips on it. So Dr. Doriani believes in this idea, like, punishment needs to fit the crime. So what did he do? He gave her a schnooks grocery bag. It's the equivalent of, like, King Supers, okay? My friend made a joke. He made a joke about this. He's like, if you're already king, why do you need to be super? I don't, I don't get it. But um, here's the thing. And so, so he, he made her take her books in a schnooks grocery bag the next day. She never left her backpack in the wrong place again. Right? And so it needs to be measured. He didn't yell at her. He didn't, you know, discipline her with a rod. No, he made the punishment fit the crime. Next thing is not capricious. It's not given to sudden emotional fits of anger. You know, so here's the thing. Don't punish when you're boiling with rage. Take a time out for yourself. We need it. And we do this by tender modeling. One of the greatest ways to help your child know their need for Jesus is to apologize and confess your need for their forgiveness too. Get down on one knee, look them in the eye, and tell them, son, daughter, I failed. I did wrong. I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? They will see that 
they'll know and it'll train them to know what is good and lovely. The next thing is be sacrificial. This is how you tenderly model it. Actively give up what you're doing to give them attention. Uh, actively give up, especially if you're on social media, okay? Act, just, if you're on social media, your kid asks you, kid number one, you do that priority. Cool? Do that. Next thing is affectionate touch. Give lots of hugs, especially young men. They need good hugs from good, strong men especially. Uh, criminal uh, data and has shown that the vast majority of young men have been, who are in prison have been deprived of good physical touch. Good physical touch. We need it, especially young men. And the next thing, teach them to rejoice in what is good. That means stand in awe of what is good and what is lovely and hate what God hates. Cry and mourn when things are terrible and do it in front of them and have them join in with you. You got to be a tender model. See, the foolish parent though, they, and we all have the seeds of this in one, on one side or another. Uh, some of them are the authoritarian parent. They're the parent who has the soundtrack of uh, the eye of the tiger. You know, they're rising up to the child, challenge of their rivals and it just happens to be their kid because their kid is the barrier to them achieving what is the good life. So this type of parent, the authoritarian parent, has, has uh, high standards. They're always strict about discipline. They're always telling the child what to do. They typically scold and critique. They're real harsh with their words all the time to get the child to do what they want. They have low grace, high rules. They rely on compliance to the rules for their standing. And often they, they often believe their child is about to become a criminal at any given moment. You're going to be a criminal. You better stop it. And so the insecurity is that the child's failures, though, is their failures. And they believe that at times that they're a failure. And so what do they do? They, sometimes we double down on trying to be more harsh, trying to get them to act right. The idolatries, they imagine that they can control their child through legalism, through rules, through force. There's also the, the permissive parent. And the permissive parent looks at their child and like, you know, baby, you're a firework. You know, it's that kind of parent. And it's, it's, they let their child rule. They give in often to the child's manipulative crying, to their demands. They let the child make the decisions. Often it's naive about the child's sin. Typically, they're light on correction. They usually say, oh, look how innocent they are. You know, they're just being a child. Um, I want my child to choose. I don't want to push religion down my child's throat. You see, the insecurity is, is they want the child to like them and love them. The idolatry is the child. You know, and they would be happy if they achieved if the child loves them. Uh, then there's also the absent parent. You know, they're always avoiding the presence of their child. They just don't show up. Uh, they're always on social media. They're ignoring them. Uh, that's, uh, if, you're, if you're an old school, like 1980s like and 70s person, uh, the cat's in the cradle, that old song, that's, that's that parent. You know, we'll get together then. Uh, you know that we'll have a good time then. The insecurity, though, down is, is they have excuses. Maybe they're ashamed of themselves and their abilities. They don't know if they can be a good parent. That's hard. And this can be hard because many of us have failed. Our parents failed. My parents failed. They've also done, God also used them in some strange ways. 
in good ways. And children, though, here's the thing. Like, if you failed, remember this. Your children are people, and they still make decisions. And ultimately, in Christianity, you're, it's not your failure that determines your standing in the world. Your failure doesn't determine the outcome of your child always. They are not a formula. They're not a computer program. It doesn't happen always the same way. Nor does your success determine your standing before God. Nor does your success... You could be just the most awesome parent ever. And the child could... Just doesn't care. But here's the deal. If neither your failure nor your success determine your standing before God, and only Jesus can do that, then you can know that your failure and your, your, your success doesn't define you. And so you're free from that determination on your life. You don't have to keep living up to this idea of being a successful parent. And you can also be free then to say, you know what, I've messed up in a lot of ways. I messed up. It is also, if it isn't your, your performance as a parent that determines how you're standing in the world, then you can go to your child and say that you messed up. And ask for forgiveness and try to make things better. And the pattern of this we see in Jesus, we see this, or actually we see really well in like new mothers. We see the modeling of how this goes in new mothers. We see mothers always model self-giving. All the late nights, the breastfeeding, the dirty diapers, the folding of little tiny clothes. Like, what in the world? How? And there's like thousands of them, and it never ends, you know, with the laundry. And new mothers always sacrifice. And we see that also in Jesus Christ, that he sacrificed for his, for his people. He puts up with it. He loves them. He gives of himself totally for the sake of his people. And so what in the world, though, will get us to be, to actually pattern our lives like Jesus so that we can be the parents and the type of people that reflect God well? Where do we get the power for this is the question. And let me answer it this way. Often when you head to bed and replay the day and how you've done for the day, and you start to record like everything, there's generally two ways that we do it. One way is you record all your failures as a parent. You remember every little bit of failure, failure that you've had through the day. And then you're like, oh, I can't believe how, how I messed up. And so you turn your face like flint to get through the next day. You double down on effort. You work harder. But then sometimes we also, maybe at night we get down like, today was a good day. And you got little achievements. And you think about all the things you did good. And so like today, will tomorrow be even better. But, you know, with all these achievements, my kids can only be grateful for what I've done. They've, they've got to love it. But either of these two sides are not the way. These are both outside-in way of thinking. Rather, Christianity is rather inside-out. How do we get power inside our bones and our hearts in order for, in our guts, to be loving, kind, sacrificial, to give of ourselves? How in the world do we get those kind of instincts? And this is what I have to say. Whatever we believe about kind of our status before God, whether functionally or subconsciously, will determine how we parent. Whatever we believe about our status before God, whether functionally or subconsciously, will determine how we parent. So, if you believe that God's demeanor toward you is always sneering, that he's always waiting for you to mess up and then correct it, you're likely to become a legalist. You're always going to try to get your kid to follow the rules. You know? 
If you believe that God is aloof and isn't paying much attention and he's on his smartphone, then you're likely to let your children run amok. So the power to parent uh, wisely resides not in uh, our judgment of ourselves, but in the judgment that you have before God in Jesus Christ. If that's where our standing is. Let me put it this way. I've said this illustration before. Uh, I don't know where I've said it. But there was a man named Robert Peterson. Robert Peterson, he was, became a ward of the state at a young age. He grew up on a, uh, in, in a, um, uh, he grew, was born and grew up on an Indian reservation. He was going from foster parent to foster parent where he experienced trauma of including being abused. He also saw one of his foster mothers get killed by his foster parent. And the nightmares then became so strong and so difficult for him that he started to wet the bed at night. And he was so ashamed of it, so that the, at one point what ended up happening was, was um, it, he, he was with one foster parent and he was wetting the bed at night that the mother was so angry and upset at him when he lived across the street from the school, she would put out his bed sheets at night or during the day and would say, here lives a bedwetter his stained sheets, and he would have to come into this his house with his sheets outside. She tried to shame him into acting, getting his act together. Robert Peterson was just ashamed. He didn't know how in the world he was going to get out of this. And then at one point, he found out that he was going to be adopted by an older uh, mother and father. The older mother and father took him out to dinner, and he's all like, he's fumbling with his silverware. He's ashamed. He doesn't know how he's going to tell them about his bedwetting problem. He's, he's scared. His status is built on his ability to actually like, get through dinner. He's like, these, parent, these people are only going to approve of me if I can get through dinner. And he's messing around, doesn't know what to do. And then they go bowling. And they're at bowling. He's like, if I can bowl good, maybe I can win their approval, and then they'll accept me. They'll love me. And the first ball that he throws, it's a gutter ball. And then he starts bawling and crying and overcome. And this older woman who wants to adopt him gets on one knee and says, Robert, what's the matter? And he says this. He says, I, when you find this out about me, you're going to find out anyway. You weren't going to love me, and it's okay. It's okay. You don't. You do not have to, have to take me in. And he, and, and he says, at night I have wet the bed over and over again. And you're not going to want me. And so he was basing his approval, his entire standing on life, on whether or not he could perform. And he was afraid and he was ashamed. And so that's the way it goes with parenting. But this mother came down in the greatest act of parenting I've heard. She goes and looks him in the eye and says, Robert, I know that you wet the bed. And I chose to adopt you anyway. Chose to adopt you anyway. And so parent, if you have failed, if you're struggling now, if your parents were messed up and they... They, they didn't get it right. And you're scared of your situation and what's going on. Know this, that your approval is not because of your performance. In Christianity, you get the verdict before the performance. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for you. 
so that you can be approved before God. That's our standing. You are approved. You are lovable. You, he wants you. He's wild about you. And when that is your standing in this world, when he has chosen you even though you've messed up, then you can know, oh, you can know that your, your, all your mess-ups and all your failures doesn't determine what's going on. And then you can have power. You can have power to love more, to care, to ask for forgiveness, to go forward in this life because you have the approval that really matters and that's God's approval. And it was given to you on the cross because of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious and awesome God, you are the true and good parent who sacrifices and tenderly loves, who cares. Lord, I pray for us all, those who've been parented by good parents and poor parents, I pray, I pray that you would not, you know, that you would not allow us to be held down by the th- thumb of shame. And I pray that we'd be able to turn to you in love and know that you do love us and care for us. I pray for us parents as we go forward. I pray that you would give us the freedom to confess when we've done wrong. That you would give us the strength to love our children more and to sacrifice more. Help us to be wise and loving and caring, Lord. I pray for those of us who parent alongside us who maybe don't have children of their own, that you would give them the strength to love little ones, to love children, to be gracious. And I pray that we would raise up children and that through our work together and love together, that we would be able to reflect your goodness into the world for your glory so that you would be known in all places, in all parts. And so that we here at Grace and Peace would be a community that shows forth your goodness into this world. And now, Lord, I pray that we would confess that our, we have a need for you and that our status is stamped in the person of Jesus Christ. That our standing in this world is only in Jesus. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.